Okay, well, guys, that concludes our service. <laughs> I was looking at all of your faces, and you were just like, oh, and then you're like, oh, here's the message. Okay, so uh, family, friends, I want to welcome you. I know some of you are new here. Uh, my name is Ryan Grable. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, man, that's adorable. It's amazing to see our children's department, our kids, and is what? I shouldn't follow children. <laughs> Normally, I don't take questions, but you do state a very good fact. Um, but the, the, the amazing part of, I think, and I just have to speak very high praises of Jacqueline, our children's department, of how hard they work, and I'm, yeah. And to all of you parents who practice the video at home to pull off that perfection, wow, amazing. Uh, well, I'll just jump right into the message. Uh, we are in a series. We're getting ready to finish it uh, next week, Sunday. If you do not have a place to go on Christmas Eve uh, on Sunday, you are welcome here if you had no plans or if you were wondering what your plans would be. We have uh, two morning services here. Uh, we have a 9.30 service and an 11 o'clock service, and we would just love you to come join us. Uh, either one of them, they'll both be probably the same amount of people at both, and uh, we are just going to talk about Jesus, what he did and what he has done on the cross for us, and what it means to have him in our life and how important the arrival of Christ is. And so uh, think about that day, put it on your calendar. It's in the morning so you can still see your family at night. Is everybody happy about this? This is very, very good. By the way, it only happens once in a great, so just take it all in now because otherwise we'll be back uh, to evening services with uh, Christmas Eve. But <clears throat> we are in our old, uh, or in our series, and it's what we're doing in this series, it's called Threads of Redemption. You, you have not had to have been here to feel like you're connected with the series. Uh, each week has been something unique. And what we're doing is we're looking at, in the Old Testament, things that, that we hear a story or we see an example, and we say, well, what does that mean? But Jesus uh, arrives, and all of those stories make sense. All of them point to this specific moment. And one of the biggest things we've identified in this series is that they're all pointing for the need for a Savior. They're all pointing for a reason Jesus had to come. Today, I think you picked the right day to come because this is one that, that as a church today and as people of God today, we need a reminder more than ever about the importance of why Jesus came, why we needed a Savior today. We are going to take a good look at, we're going to, oops, I'm on the wrong, I was going to preach you last week's sermon, so here we go, I'll, I'll update it. Today we're going to take a look at rediscovering our relationship with God and what it's all about. Getting off track in our faith happens often, does it not? Where one, one minute you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm in step with God, I'm in relationship with God, and then all of a sudden, a year or two down the road, you've realized how far you've veered off the road. And in some cases, this may not be you, but I've been here where I've been so far down, and then the way I think I get back to God is doing all the things that Jesus came to save me from. Let me give you an example. I'm off track, and I start thinking, 
okay, now I've got to just, I've got to go to church more. That's going to make me more closer with God and he's going to accept me more. Oh, now I've got to pray. But when I pray, I'm going to be like, okay, God, listen, I know I've been horrible. I know I've been terrible, but God, I just need you to hear me, God. And, and, and I want to come back to you. And, and so I do these things. And then I start smiling to people more and I start doing nicer things. And then I tell people that, you know what? Like, you know, God is somebody in my life and I'm trying to pursue him more. All right, all of these things we can do with our mouth, but really to come back to God, it's, it's, it's a relational moment when we veer it off track. But we think we need to do all these other things to get back to God. And God is like, I didn't meet you there in the first place. How many of you were doing all these great things and then finally God's like, all right, now I'm going to come meet with you and, and, and I'll save you now. Do you remember who you were before you met Christ? You weren't exactly your pillar of righteousness, were you? And even if you thought you were, I'll tell you, you were lying to yourself. Compared to the righteousness of God, it was like the Bible says, filthy rags. So we always tend to go to things that almost feel like religious things that we can do to restore our relationship with God or to earn God's favor. But it's not any of that at all. It's exactly what we're going to talk about today. It's a relational issue. It's weird how we can become, like we can have such a moment of grace with Jesus and then it can become something else and we lose track of really what that moment was about. When I was playing basketball, uh, in high school, uh, we had, and, and, and if you are one of those parents, I hope you feel a deep conviction today. If you had noticed one of these parents or had one of these parents, I hope that you can see like, man, yeah, let's not get off track. This kid's dad, his name is Brad. He was the best player on our team. And if Brad wasn't playing well, we didn't win games. And I remember just, it started to start slow and then it got worse and worse and worse where every single game, it was a nightmare from his dad. He, he would get out on the court. He would start yelling at the rest. And he would yell over at our bench. The, the bleachers were here. And he would yell out over at our bench, Brad! Can you imagine? All of Brad's friends are there. All of, his, of the other families are there. Hey, Brad, you need to get your head in the game. Brad, look at me. Can you? Oh, my gosh. I remember thinking, looking up, being like, you know what? I'm glad that my parents aren't even at this game. Like, it was like, oh, man. And afterwards, we would go in the locker room, and his dad would come in the locker room, and he'd be like, Brad! And the coach would get him out of the, the locker room, and I'd, we'd see Brad, and it was like he was just hated losing. And, and I think, like, I, I can imagine when he was first teaching Brad how to shoot hoops. It was probably a beautiful son-father relationship moment, Right? Coming in and bragging to his, his wife, saying, man, Brad, he actually hit the rim with the ball today. Oh, Brad, he scored his first point in a game today. Fast forward, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. He has lost the meaning of what that relationship was and what he was there for for Brad. It was really sad to watch, actually. It almost ruined the game for my friend Brad. He forgot why he was there. These, Jesus says, don't forget your first love. Don't forget what this is all about. It's about right relationship with God through me. 
And we get distracted in so many different ways. Let's pray. God, I ask that today as we learn about the very nature and character of you, God, and the example of Jesus in the way that was made, that we don't lose sight of what our faith is all about. God, help us walk out of here and maybe even take some of the complication out of our relationship, things that feel almost more religious than relationship. God, I ask that for some of us in here who have religious baggage, that God, that that begin to break over them, God, that they can see you for who you are and not for maybe what uh, organizations or establishments have made you to be, but God, but really who you are, the essence of who you are. And I ask that God today that you help me articulate the very best of my ability and that you speak through me God, for a convicting word and, and, and some truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you've ever been to a gym, like a workout gym, you're going to notice something that happens often. Now, it's part of the reason why people can't work out at home. They struggle working out at home. If you've ever been working out, especially during the pandemic, I remember starting trying to work out at home, but I have this thing inside of me that has to look at somebody else and say, I have to beat you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I, I just am like watching that. I'm like, oh, you think you're tough. All right, so then I'm like watching them work out. And then I'm judging how they work out so I can make myself feel better. Like, look at his form. Wow, he's going to be hurting in a year. And so I, I just have this thing where I constantly am competing. I have to really, really, really work on it. But I've found no more greater competition than when you get on the treadmill row. Treadmill row is something else. You get on the treadmill and you're going nowhere. You're racing to nowhere. It's hilarious. But I'll get on the treadmill and I'll notice it with myself and I'll be going and I'm like, okay, I'm doing a good little pace. And I will, if you're on the treadmill row, you will look over and be like, oh, he's at, he's at like four miles an hour. I need to just pick up my walk pace, you know. And then you'll notice like, oh, he just went up to 5% increase on incline. I'm going 10. And then I'll just start, it's just nonstop. And, and I can, I know that the people on treadmill row are competing with me as well. Because I have seen it. When I bring my incline all the way to 15, and I'm walking at like a three and a half mile an hour pace, and then I'll see someone else be like, mm. <laughs> I love it. It's bad. It's bad. Re religion can feel a lot like a treadmill, can it not? Religion puts you on that pace. I wrote this down when I think about religion in the treadmill. Religion might keep you in the same spot, feeling like you're doing something uh, 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 progressive for your life, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you're in the exact same spot. And it's how we get, when we get in church, we start competing with other people. Like, oh, well, they, 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 they seemed very like, religious and, and, and special when they did that or said that. Or I need to be like this person. And we have lose, losing our whole perspective about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus in the first place. My goal is to get us off of treadmill row in, in, in our faith and get us into just relationship. If you could go from the, really, if you want to look at it this way, religion is this treadmill mentality. You're just nonstop. You're going, you're going, you're going, you're going. You're not going anywhere in God's eyes. But you're doing a lot of really good things, and it's really great. And you're competing with other people to make sure you feel more religious than they do. 
But if you could look at really real relationship with Jesus, it's just like the potter's wheel where you don't get and you're not about doing. You're just about being. And God is shaping you and shaping you and shaping you. And it's not, it's not near as, e- as easy as treadmill roll, by the way, letting God do his work in your life and shape you. You're placing yourself in the potter's hands instead of what you can do to make God notice you or feel good, maybe even about yourself. I titled this message, Relationship. God is not impressed with our great deeds. I think you have to hear that. He's not impressed with how good you are. You can't be good enough for God. He is not impressed whatsoever. You know what should be the impression that's happening? It should be how impressed you are with him. It's not about how impressed he will be with you. It's about how impressed we are with him. My daughter has started to date this boy. And... (laughs) I thought I'd be cool, you know, like when I was a youth pastor, I was like, I'll be a really cool dad, and I'll make my, my kids, you know, like whoever they're dating feel really comfortable. No, it's not that way. I, I, she's finally brought home a, a boy I approve of, the first one ever, and, but he doesn't really know. He's really insecure. He doesn't really get it. Like, so I, our family, we love humor and we'll make jokes, but he's a little nervous. I can tell when he's talking to me and my daughter prepared us. Like, let me, let me just tell you how my daughter works. She said, okay, mom, dad, when you guys meet him, can, can, and she's trying to tell us to set a scenario. Like, can you guys be out decorating the house for Christmas? <laughs> and then he, he, we, just, we just drive by and I'm going to quick grab something. And then I'm like, I'll just say, stay in the car. But you wave and say, oh, hi, I'm, I'm Mr. Grable. Like, oh my. <laughs> like, I'm like, no, no, he's coming in the house. I want to look him in his eye and I want to have a conversation and see if he's normal. <laughs> and so it, it was funny. I could just tell he was so uncomfortable and I'd make a little, like a, like a joke, like how, how in our house, when it shows that we like, we, we feel comfortable with you, like we're going to make like little, little comments or jokes, but not in a nasty way, just in a, in a fun way. And I could tell he was getting a little nervous in my daughter, but no, no, you have to understand our family. She's trying to explain us. No, 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 they, they it's not bad, it's bad like, don't, he, don't feel bad, like it's, it means we, he likes you. So my daughter's trying to interpret me to him. And so, uh, and then over time, it's gotten better and better. But it's funny, just the insecurity. I feel like when we come before God, we feel we, we might be like this boy who is coming to my house shaking. But he, this boy, he's not here today, thank goodness. He doesn't know how much I love my daughter, that I will, I, I will give him a, a lot of leeway because she, she really likes him. When we come to God... I just feel like in this way, like we're coming to God and, and we don't really realize how much he loves us. And so we come with trepidation. And I, mean, I don't mean like dis- irreverent to God. I mean, we don't really realize actually how much he actually does love us. And so we, we have to create all these things to do to make God love us. And he's like, I, 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 don't, I don't think you understand how much I love you, though. You don't need to do any of that for me. As a matter of fact, I don't care about any of that. I do care about you. God is not impressed with our great deeds. We should be impressed with his love for us, ultimately. Jesus brought relationship with God. 
Jesus did not come, and I know this might be a shock to you, he did not come to bring another religion. He came to bring a relationship, not another religion. Being right with God is being in right relationship with God. And there's a really good story in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings 22. And, and the only way you can really get the, the, the meat of this story in 2 Kings 22 is if you really look at how, how uh, devolved the culture had gotten from King David, which you guys mostly know, who's this famous figure, man after God's own heart, to many generations down to another king that become, comes to power. Over that time of hundreds of years, Israel, which was following God, following a, a king who was after God's own heart, and worshiping God in, in, in all heart and reverence to him, over time, through, through a degrading mentality and other influences and other gods, eventually, they don't even know what it looks like to be a follower of Yahweh. They're confused. They're worshiping gods of Baal, this other god. They're taking in gods from other religions. They're bringing uh, uh, statues and temples into the temple. And they're worshiping other gods in the very temple that Solomon built to worship God. They had gotten loose and relaxed, and then they began to do all these different rituals to a point where they were actually following one of the god cults that actually really ultimately just sacrificed their children to appease this angry God or God. Israel had lost completely what it meant to be a people of God. Moses led them, gave them the way and the direction, and it was hard. David tried to establish it, and it's lost. So finally, some young boy is born. His father was so wicked that the people of Israel couldn't take it anymore, and they ended up removing him by his life and appointing an eight-year-old boy. His name is Josiah. Josiah is one of the last kings of Israel before it all kind of unravels. It was about 600 years before Jesus even comes. And it's this interesting moment because in the story, you're going to see like a big aha moment happen, that how far they've gone off, how much they've gone into religious practice. They've even lost the meaning of what it meant to be in right relationship with God. It's like Josiah brings a moment of like a compass moment where they discover that they've been going the wrong way. It's a, like we would say now, like a come to Jesus moment. They're so, so removed from what it means to be even a people of God, you couldn't even recognize them. It was, it was quite shocking what was happening in Israel. They were serving, in a way, a toxic religion. And that had gone on for so long. I imagine, think about this, if King David had gone forward hundreds of years to that moment, he would have been stunned at what he had seen. He would have been shocked at what had happened to this kingdom. If Moses had seen what has happened, he would literally have just collapsed. It, was, he was, it would be stunning. I'll give you an example. Um, let's say you go forward in time two, three hundred years, and you're walking around, and you notice something's a little weird. 
because there's all these temples of these great saviors to, to, to the world. And, and, and they, 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 they are who we worship to. And they're the ones who we give homage to. And we speak of these great tales. And, and we give our lives and sacrifices to these things. And it just is the, the temple cult of the Kardashians. And you, who knows, like, I, I, like I've seen it on TV, there are no, no great saints, I don't know why anybody would follow or worship them in this way, but imagine, this is what's happened, they, they, they have completely lost what, what the meaning of what God even is, it's so diluted at this point, and people are following other gods. It would shock you if it happened to you, and it, and it, and it definitely has shocked God. They're busying themselves with fruitless efforts. They, they, they don't even know who they are anymore as a people. So Josiah is born. The first thing Josiah starts to do, he's eight years old. By the time he's in his 20s, he begins to go around and start emptying and cleaning out the temple, right? And what happens is, is a stunning turn of events. Somebody finds something in the temple that, had, that, that, that hasn't been heard of or spoken of in this generation, and they find what is called the Torah. They actually find the book of the law there, and they discover it. And so they come to him, and, and, and they just don't even know, hey, we found, and they call it this book. Can you imagine? And uh, let me just read a small snippet from it in 2 Kings 22.10. Then Saphon the secretary told the king, Halkai, uh, Oh, I should not. Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Saphon read it before the king. And when the king had heard the words, Josiah, of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. This was a big deal. This was when it was like, how far, how, how horrible has things gotten? Like, he just tore himself bare. And in that moment was that compass moment of like, we don't even look like what we set out to be. Religion can feel this way sometimes. We've, we've, we've chased after other things that are meaningless. And now here they have the book of the law, which was how to be in right relationship with God as his people through his covenant. And so what he does is he goes around and he does something that no one would do before him. He went and tore down all of the idols in every single city, even religious artifacts they were worshiping from Moses, and he ground them into the dirt, and he said, you don't worship these things, you worship the one who made this thing. They had been so far gone, and he absolutely transformed all of Israel. And that was the beginning of a, of a restoration of Israel that ultimately we see fold, uh, play out in Jesus' time. But it, one by one, he went down and he just tore down the toxic religion, the bad religion. And he gathered all of Israel together and he said, guys, we've missed it. And he read the book of the law to them. And the one thing they did, the most important thing they did is they began to celebrate Passover. Now, when does Jesus die on the cross? Passover. And so the, he, he is reinstituting something. This is why I think he's so vital in the story. Because he's reinstituting something that 600 years later will actually be so significant because it speaks to something that happened from Israel 
coming out of Egypt, Josiah reestablishes like, guys, we forgot about this. And the reason Passover is so important, do you want to know why it's so important? It's because God did something they couldn't do. They couldn't free themselves and they couldn't do. They couldn't escape the harm. God did it. And it brought them back into that moment that this is a significant moment. God can deliver you when you cannot deliver yourself. And so it's very important that we realize that when Jesus came and died on the cross, it was doing something you couldn't do yourself. So why do we try so hard to do that? They got back to the truth behind the basics. God saved them. And that's why Passover is so important to celebrate. And that's why they had lost their way. They forgot that God saved them. They could not save themselves. But we can relate to that. We get sidetracked so much and weighted down by religious acts. But I don't think that's a huge problem within our church or, or in our culture. It's not like we're doing extra crazy, weird, biblical things. But you know what we do? Is even though we don't get maybe sidetracked by some weird religious acts, we can become religious in our acts that we're called to be as people. We think they make us right in the eyes of God. But remember, it's filthy rags still, no matter your best effort, to God. So I wrote on a list of things that we can kind of do that make us feel like we are, God, you must then like us now, right? Look, at, I'm doing these things now. God, you, you, you love me now, right? I can pray right. I go to church. I read my Bible. I give money away. I feel bad for the unfortunate. These are things that we do that we think, God, you must love that, right? So therefore, you then like me. I feel good in your presence because I've earned this. I have a cross on my wall. God, most people don't. It's right here when you walk in my house. So everybody knows. Nothing wrong with it, but the heart behind it and how we do it can be. I read my Bible. I'm in a small group. I keep up. I have a bumper sticker, God. So everybody who sees me knows. Except for when I'm driving bad, you know. Post, I post spiritual things. I'm a volunteer. I tithe. I stay positive. And I, hey, even when I'm in the car, I don't turn on ACDC. I listen to worship music. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. As a matter of fact, they're transformed. Minus the bumper sticker, maybe, but that's everybody's personal choice. They're all things that you, you, we do, right? They would say, that person might be a believer, but why we do them matters. None of them mean anything if we're not ultimately saying the most important thing is what God has done for me, not what I can do for God. If we ever think that any of those things earn favor with God, then I think then we've missed the point of Jesus in, in totality. None of those will earn God's favor. Only Jesus earned God's favor and gave it to you, right? That's religious thinking, not relational thinking. Let me, let me give a few just maybe things we can hang on to when we think about re religion and relationship. Religion says do, Jesus says, done, right? Religion is man searching for God. Jesus is God searching for man. Religion is pursuing God by our moral efforts. Jesus is God pursuing us despite our moral efforts. 
Religion, religious people, they kill for what they believe, but, but, but Jesus' followers die for what they believe. The message of the gospel, the good news uh, of our salvation, isn't good advice. That's religion. It's good news, which is Jesus. It's not declaring what we must do, but declaring what he has already done. That's the gospel. We'll always fight and wrestle with religion or relationship. But you must always, always fight for relationship over religion. Religion will want to make your relationship with God stale and boring. And it will make it so it feels mechanical and, and, and you do all these right things on paper. And so therefore you have relationship. Fight that temptation. If you're a husband and you have said, you know what? I need to make my wife happy. I'm going to do all of these things on paper. Bop, 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 bop. And I'm going to do them. And it's all the things she likes. I took in all the data. It's all the things she likes. And, and so if I do these things, we'll have a good relationship. Do you know what a fool's errand that is? You'll be sitting in therapy and, and your wife will say, you know what? Something's missing. Yeah. You did it all on paper, but you did not have the relational aspect. There was no connection happening. That's what religion can feel like. You can do it all right on paper, but Jesus came for relationship. And I, my question before I read some of the thoughts of Jesus is about religion and relationship is this. is Are we in a relationship or are we in a religion? You got to ask that question. Are we in a relationship or are we in a religion? And if you are feeling more and more like, you know what, I think I am in a religion, then we need you to start considering what a relationship looks like with Jesus. Jesus is a transformative, a transformative figure, but he, his goal or his thrust was to transform us from the inside out, not the outside in. Nicodemus is this famous character in the Bible in John 3, and, and he's a, he's a well-known and prominent Pharisee, which means a religious leader, like a, like a pastor of pastors, a regional pastor, if you will. He comes to Jesus in the night, likes what Jesus is hearing, or he's investigating what Jesus is doing. I don't really know. But he comes to Jesus, and he's having this conversation, and Jesus is talking to him about, hey, listen, um... You, you need to be reborn. Now, it's weird because to us, like, reborn is like, you know, I'm born again. And people kind of culturally know, like, oh, they're a Christian. But Nicodemus is like the first person to hear, you need to be born again. But even this is how you know. He, he's having a hard time breaking his religious mentality because what does he say? If you remember the story, he says, wait a minute. So I'm just imagining, how can I be reborn again, Jesus? Because I, I can't literally crawl up back into my mother's womb. Now, it's a weird, gross analogy, right? But think about the first thing he says. He doesn't say, how can God make me reborn? He says, how can I do these things then to be reborn then? Do I need to do, give me the steps, Jesus. He's struggling. His first act is, what can he do? And Jesus says, it's not what you can do, it's what I can do. So you have to be born of the Spirit, which I can do. And it's puzzling to Nicodemus, but Jesus says something really interesting, and he cites an Old Testament reference about when people in Israel were 
God, God sent snakes above, uh, among them because they were quarreling and they were fighting. There was disunity and they were turning away from God. And they, these, the, the story goes, these poisonous snakes were biting the people, but Moses had put a staff up with a serpent on a staff and the very thing that was inflicting them, they would look upon and then they would be healed. So this is what he references. It's not nothing that they could do per se. It's what they looked upon that would bring their salvation. So Jesus skillfully says this in uh, 3.14. And Moses, as he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Like this is that God gave. This is all God's doing. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but has eternal life. Whoever who is stricken by the poison of sin can look upon Christ, the figure, call on his name, and he would be saved. This blows Nicodemus' mind. We don't really know what happened with him. There's speculation here and there. But for us, this became the most famous scripture in the Bible. Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about what, who you actually look to and what salvation looks like. It's in who you're looking to because who is capable of saving you. Nothing you can do. You just have to look. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. And religion a lot of times will just try to expose how bad you are. So you have to try to be good. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but in order that he might save the world. So, which is beautiful about it is anybody who is stricken with sin, anybody who, which is everyone, has the pains of the death of sin, and everyone is not good enough, can look upon a figure, Jesus, and call upon him, and because of what he has done, you can be saved. Jesus warned his followers to don't be religious in your thinking. Do not be somebody who, once you think you've got things going, you're like, look at me. Like, oh, now I'm living better and, 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 and I'm doing better in all these other ways. And, and, and I've got Christian friends now and things are really good. Now listen, I, and then we, as, as a new Christian, you have a little bit more grace. But as you get older in your faith, you start to maybe, have you ever done this, where you start to like look at other people who aren't doing good, they're doing things that are like sinful, and you're looking down like, I would never do anything like that. Never! Should we bring you back to college? <laughs> never! It's a, it's a trap. It's a trap. Luke 18, he told this parable. And he also told this parable some, uh, uh, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. These people are saying, I... Because I do what I do, I'm righteous. And they treated others with contempt. Two men went into a temple to pray. One a Pharisee, this religious super pastor, and another a tax collector, someone who everybody uh, collectively hated. The, and it goes on to say, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. And God help us if we pray this prayer, honestly. God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And then he starts to qualify. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And then this is what Jesus says. This is like the death nail 
to religion. I tell you, this man went down from his house justified, the tax collector, the other rather than the other. For everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is such a sobering reminder as every Christian who, I don't care how long you've been walking in your faith, and I, and, and I, I don't care if I'm a pastor or not. If I ever have this mentality, I found myself very far off the path. I need to rediscover what relationship means, like Josiah did for Israel and like Jesus did for the people of Israel in the world. It is about our heart and our relationship with God and what God has done, not about what we have done. We must fight that temptation or we cannot be the bright light that God needs for his kingdom when we think religiously like that. It's not a, heart, it's not a thing that we do. It's a heart thing, always. Always, why we do what we do has to come from the inside out. So if we serve and, and we don't get the praise we want, okay, well, who did you do it for? If we, if we, if we do anything like even just in a way in our church or religiously or lead something or do something or say a kind thing and we don't get it back and we go, well, unbelievable, these people. Who did you do it for? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23, he's talking about, so if you have an offering, uh, if you're offering a gift at the altar, meaning the, the, the very presence of God, and there, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Meaning that why are you doing this when you have this relational problem over here of which Jesus modeled that we fix broken relationships if possible. But reconcile with your brother and then come and offer your gift. So... so you're getting the theme here behind what Jesus is really ultimately driving home is it will never be about you justifying your righteousness before God. You won't want to stand before God that way. You will want to stand before God loving and appreciating what Jesus did for you because he could only do it. You can only just respond. So why do we do anything? Why do I come up and speak a message? Why do I do a kind thing? Now, Jesus says this, and it's one of those things where he talks about these people who praise themselves, like, look what I've given. Look at how long I fasted. Look at how wonderful I am in the name of their religion. Even in the name of Jesus, people will do it. But Jesus says this, and I never want these words to be ever said to me. He says they got their reward, but they're not getting the heavenly reward. They got their reward. And it was a cheap reward. It was momentarily. It, it, it like left in a moment the people who praised them were gone. And they could just go around and maybe feel good about themselves another day. We have to fight the temptation to do these things and remember who we serve because of what he did, not because of what you can do. And I'll say this, um, two more thoughts and we'll close. Matthew 5 talks about this is God's people... In the end of the day, they follow the ways of what it means to be a person of God, but they're governed by one law Jesus establishes. And there's a concern happening within the community. So wait a minute. Do we throw out all the things of, the, of, the, of what people of God do, which is in the law? Meaning like 
really good, righteous, right living? Do we just throw that all out and just live how we want to? And that's not what Jesus says he came to do. And Matthew is addressing the issue to the people concerned. He quotes Jesus, and Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have come to... Uh, uh, but I have not come to abolish them, but I came to fulfill them. Jesus does this, and it's kind of like if you see our four pillars of our church, they're, they're the four pillars of our church, uh, our guidelines of which we try to execute any ministry thing that we do here. And if they go through them, like our intentional community, our kingdom-mindedness, our spiritual growth, right? If we go through these types of things, we run everything through them, because they govern it. And if we're doing something that's outside of one of those four things, those pillars of our church, then for Soundhouse, then we do not do them or we try not to because it doesn't work within what we've decided. This is the type of church we want to be. Jesus does this. He says, listen, you can sum all the laws of the prophets up into one thing. Love God with all your heart, all your might, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the governing principles. So what Jesus then does is this. All the things that we do as religious, or, or, or sorry, as people in relationship with God, right relationship with God, we do them first and foremost out under the lens of love. If we are not doing it under the lens of love for God or for people, then I would uh, question why you're even doing it. Jesus has this situation where he heals a man who's so desperate to be healed on the Sabbath, on the, on the day where you take a moment and you rest and you do nothing. And this, this, this is appalling to religious people because it's like, why are you doing that? Why would you do that? We're supposed to do this. And they're losing sight of the very thing that God would love for this man. They're losing sight of the very humanity of this person, that God loves this person so much. Why wouldn't Jesus do it? And so they're freaking out. Almost wanted, this is almost a death nail for him because he's not resting, he's healing. And, and Jesus is appalled by how far they are away from the very heart of God. Because of a religious act, let's overlook this person and don't help this person. Even though the religious act is important, God instituted Sabbath for all of us, but if, if the love of God or the love of person supersedes that commandment or action we're called to be, then, then so be it, it is. So he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it and, ha and give it a and let people have in perspective the higher governing power, love of God and love of people. It's so important that we view these things, that, that, that God is ultimately trying to lead us into right relationship with Him through Christ. And any time we get caught up in religion, you will find yourself, I promise you, you will find yourself further and further discontent in your relationship with God. Just like if you had a spouse. You're doing all the right things, but you're all of a sudden, something, you're becoming more and more unfulfilled because you're not in connection relationally, but you're doing all the right things. Checking all the boxes. So you can evaluate yourself. Why do I feel so disconnected to God? Am I becoming just more religious or, or am I pursuing relationship? At the end of the day, I'll just say this. When you stand before God, he is probably not going to bring up anything that you do. Oh, shocker. He's probably not going to. He's probably not going to bring up anything that you did good. Like, hey, I saw that one time 
you know? You were really nice when, when that person was really mean to you. Looking good, Peter. Open the gates. Like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know what's going to happen? Is God is going to see how much you looked at what Jesus did in your life and relied on that alone. So when you're standing before God, what you want is your faith in Christ because he's the one who is your advocate. He will be representing you, not your works. What he did. I'll close with these two thoughts. One, religion is this, and Matthew says it in, in chapter 23, 4. Religion ties up and puts heavy burdens on people, and they're hard to bear. And Jesus says in Matthew eleven three or 30, which is relationship, he says, my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light. So if you've come in here and, and, and religion has been something that you maybe even don't like the church because of it, maybe today was really hard for you to even be here because you're like, yeah, I don't do church. You know, I'm not, I don't like religious people. Good. I hope, I, hope you do, I hope you don't like religion in the sense that it pulls you away from right relationship with God. I, I hope that's the case. You belong here. You belong here because people of God pursue relationship with God. And their relationship and how they conduct themselves on this, in this world to be people of God is governed first and foremost by their love of God and their love of people. And everything from there comes, stems from there. So maybe you might be in the right place. My prayer is any of you who have come in, in maybe religion has really made you think about God a certain way that has pushed you away from him, I pray that you find restoration or maybe a real connection of who God really is. We have a lot of reasons. I, have a, I, I was talking to a friend of mine and a mutual friend of ours has gotten into, he started mixing our faith with really weird stuff. And he's a public figure, so like I'm starting to see it and a friend's texting me videos and listening to his teaching and, and, and our mutual friend has gone so far off track. He's doing really strange stuff that has nothing to do with our faith or relationship with God, and he hates the church. And I'm like heartbroken because he was a minister in the church. So my friend's like, well, what do you think about this? I just, I'm, just, I'm just so sad because I'm thinking he forgot his first love. And he made his first love the, the, the religious acts of church that maybe hurt him and not Jesus anymore. Listen, I've been hurt by people in church. It's, it's a regular occurrence. I've worked for a lot of churches and organizations that hurt me. But I, 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 the church is not my savior. It, you, you are not my savior. Religion is not my savior. Jesus is my savior. So I'll march on. And so you do not have to walk away from God because of what's happened to you in the past. You can turn to God and be healed from what's happened to you in in the past. Can you guys bow your heads? I, I only have one thing to offer, and it's what was offered to me, and it's what's been offered to maybe people sitting next to you, and that is a relationship with Jesus and to be in right relationship with God. I don't know the life you live. I don't know what's happened in your life. I don't know. But I do know one thing 
is that God has been pursuing you longer than you could have even perceived God. He has been after you in every dark place longer than you can imagine. In the depths of your despair, in the hardest places, in the places that were even anti-God, He's been there pursuing you. He's like, he's, like, he's like my kid when they're nonstop poking at me, like, are you awake? Are you awake? Are you awake? He's like, just stop! Like, or they're constantly watching you and just like, okay, maybe now's the time. Christmas morning I'm talking about. Are you, are you awake? Are you awake? Like God is always there all the time. And that thing you feel in your heart that might feel like, hey, something tells me I'm in the wrong place in my life. Something tells me that there must be a greater purpose. Something is telling me but I don't know what it is. I'm just here to tell you that's God. And he's been pursuing you for a long time. And by you pursuing him is acknowledging what he has done to pursue you. And being in right relationship with him is saying, Jesus, no more of me. I want all of you. And Jesus is the door to your right relationship with God. If you've ever felt like, I don't know why I'm here Jesus is the door that tells you why you're here. So if that's you and you're in here, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God is really ultimately melts your heart and enlightens you, your eyes and your mind to see what's really been going on in your heart, that conflict. The other side of the conflict is him calling you home. And if that's you in here, with everybody's head bowed, and I'm just going to ask this only reason why, I don't care about who raises their hand, I care about praying for people who are raising their hand. But if that's you and you feel like, man, I've been serving religion and I'm not in relationship with God. I think I've been in a, a place where I've been running from God, but I'm not. I'm tired of running. I think he's speaking to me. And maybe today is a divine moment, that today is the moment I respond to the voice it's been in my heart. If that's you, just, just between you and I, I want you to just, if you could, even, even this, this, I won't even have you raise your hand. I just want you to look at me and so I know who I'm going to pray this prayer for. I, I see a lot of people looking at me and I'm assuming that you're saying, I'm done with religion. I want relationship. I'm done hiding. I want Jesus. And, and let him show you what he has done for you. And let him humble you in what you can't do for him. You can't. But he can do something for you. So I want to pray with all of you. And you can say it in your heart, in your mind, with your mouth, out loud. But I want you just to pray with me. Jesus, come into my heart. Be, be the Lord of my life, meaning you're in charge. I'm sorry for the sins I cannot escape. Will you rescue me? Make me new. Change my life. I'm done with religion. I want relationship. Thank you for never leaving me, always pursuing me.
And today's the day that I will pursue you with everything I got. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you all giving me the time to have a moment with people in the church who are ready for this moment. So could you guys, in this last song, just stand and we'll sing together. We'll celebrate what God's done even here today.